listening to a Rebel Media podcast. Tonight, a liberal staffer would like us Westerners to just be a little more grateful for all that Trudeau is doing for us. Then, Toronto has a terrorism problem nobody wants to say the word, and the Danforth shooting report leaves us far more questions than answers. It's July 5th, 2019. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. This fella here, well, his name is Tyler Meredith. He's a long-time liberal partisan. In fact, he's the senior policy advisor to the Federal Liberal Caucus and the ex-advisor for economic and social policy for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So if we think about it, if the liberals have had a dumb or really bizarre idea or policy plan, it either came directly from this guy's brain or it passed through his brain like a fish tank filter at some point. And in an attempt to shut up some pesky Westerners like me who are sick and tired of the abuse and mistreatment we're taking from the federal government, a federal government that blocks pipelines, wants to transition away from fossil fuels, you know, the West's best industry, scapegoats law-abiding gun owners and also takes far more than it gives us. Meredith sent numerical evidence of Prince Trudeau's benevolence towards the serfs west of Winnipeg. He tweeted, the neat thing about the public accounts of Canada, they're irrefutable facts. Western economic diversification. That's the corporate welfare arm of the feds for Western Canada, by the way. Total funds used 2014-2015 by Harper, 162 million. 2017-2018 Trudeau, 227.1 million, a 40% increase under Trudeau. And in budget 2018, even more added. You got that, people? Shut up, Westerners, about your jobs. Shut up about your business insolvencies and your out-of-control suicide rates. Just be grateful for what we're giving you. Meredith is a Liberal Party operative, a Liberal Party employee, so I'm sure he knows that the Liberal government ran a $16.6 billion shortfall in 2017, the year he's bragging about Trudeau out-subsidizing Harper in the West. Am I supposed to be happy Trudeau's giving corporate welfare to companies so that I have to pay it back eventually, or rather my kids have to pay it back some way. And hang on here for a second. I'm sorry, but when did we Westerners ever ask for a handout? We only ever asked for the Fed to get out of the way of what we're trying to do here. But we'll have to excuse Meredith because as an Eastern-based liberal, he's not used to the way we do things out here. Looks to me like the senior policy advisor to the Federal Liberal Caucus has mistaken us out here in Alberta and in the West for, I don't know, Bombardier. Actually, if we were Bombardier in the same year that Tyler Meredith is bragging about the Trudeau government dispersing $227 million, the government very clearly doesn't have in the first place, through Western economic diversification, the Liberals were giving $150 million more than that to prop up Bombardier, just look at this, from 2017 in the CBC of all places. The federal government says it will provide $372.5 million in interest-free loans to Bombardier, a move that elicited criticism 
even though it is far less than the transportation giant originally sought more than a year ago. Oh yeah, I suppose. <laughs> the Liberals would also want us to be grateful for this handout because it's apparently far less than the $1 billion Bombardier was originally begging the government for in the first place. But this gift to Bombardier, it isn't standalone, again from the same CBC article about that perennial welfare queen, aircraft peddler. Last year, Bombardier received a $1 billion U.S. investment for the C-Series passenger jet program from the Quebec government in exchange for a 49.5% stake. A $1 billion U.S. investment from the Quebec government? I wonder where Quebec got that kind of cash from. Maybe it's from the $13 billion in equalization payments Quebec will get this year alone. I mean, with $13 billion extra dollars in equalization payments and a balanced budget on the backs of all that extra cash, surely Quebec could have afforded the $1.3 billion the federal government has just committed to a Montreal subway project. According to Statistics Canada in 2016, right in the middle of Alberta's oil industry getting just absolutely hammered by a confluence of NDP and Liberal policies causing a capital evacuation and a pipeline bottleneck, Albertans sent $48 billion worth of taxes to Ottawa but only received $27.2 billion back in the form of federal spending. This is a gap of $21 billion. And 2017 wasn't any better. We couldn't get a pipeline approved if our lives depended on it, and, you know, they really do. And yet Albertans sent $50.3 billion to the federal government and received back about $28.5 billion, amounting to a spending inequity of nearly $22 bucks. So yeah, thanks for that $227 million worth of our own money dished out to us again, Tyler Meredith after being cycled through the hands of a thousand bureaucrats. Oh, and about the feds getting out of the way of what we do best out here, so they don't have to brag about the handouts they give back to us. The Alberta government, under the NDP of all people, estimated that Alberta was losing $80 million per day through the lack of pipeline access. Ironic that the NDP would come up with such an idea as a running tally of these sorts of things given their long and storied history of being the reason pipelines get blocked. But anyway, a little quick math tells me that just three days with the appropriate amount of pipeline access would have paid for Justin Trudeau's Western Economic Diversification Handout in 2017. This great article by Toronto Sun's Lori Goldstein quotes a Fraser Institute report that shows nearly $21 billion in GDP has evaporated from the Canadian economy because of a lack of pipeline access. Well, that's weird because that's almost the exact same amount as the equalization spending gap that Albertans experienced back in 2016. You know, funny that. So I guess my question for Mr. Meredith remains is, where do I send the thank you card? Stay with us more up next after the break. We discuss the Danforth shooting report with our special guest.
has a couple of things happening right now that look and feel a lot like terrorism, actually more than a couple of things, as my guest today will point out. Nobody really wants to say the word terrorism, though. Instead, Toronto leadership seems more concerned with blaming the law-abiding for their ever-increasing crime problem on the ground. Now, joining me to make sense of all these crime and security stories from the center of the universe in Toronto is Leo Knight, joining me from his home in British Columbia. Leo is a former Canadian police officer. He's a security expert and a frequent media commentator. And he's also a research and journalism fellow at True North Canada. Hey, Leo Thanks for joining me. There's just so much going on in Toronto, but it really is a problem all across the country. I I wanted to have you on first and foremost because you did an incredible analysis of the police report on the Danforth shooting. You really went through this with a police officer's skepticism and an investigator's eye, and you laid out all the answers that aren't there really yeah i laid out a bunch of questions that i have yeah which which you know in in a strange sort of way uh i spent many years instructing and one of the things when you're teaching report writing is that the reader should not have any questions at the end of the report but after I read that 23-page report from the Toronto Police Service into the Danforth shooting, I had a number of questions, as uh, as you've noted. Yeah, I mean, you went through and said, you know, that there are there's weapons missing, and you went through and said, okay, well, great, they found a magazine clip for an AK-47. Where's the gun? Um, loaded. It was just magazine clip. Yeah, it was just a series of unanswered questions that the report doesn't seem to address. Um, maybe you can go through some of those for us. Well, there was a number of things. When they, after following the shooting, when they identified the uh, the shooter, uh, he took his own life, as you recall, when police arrived on the scene. Um, they identified him, and they went to his residence, uh, an apartment he shared in the Ferncliffe area of Toronto with his parents and uh, they searched the apartment and they came up with a bunch of uh, a bunch of ammunition and a gun case the gun case I'm led to believe was for the the actual handgun that he used in the shooting but they also found a magazine clip loaded for an AK-47 um, and they found another magazine for a Ruger and and and, and various uh, types of ammunition there's no indication in the report you know what efforts were ever put into finding those weapons and indeed uh, did they ever find them in fact I believe that they, they did not and if he had a magazine clip uh, for an AK then that AK has got to be around somewhere well and you also posed some pretty serious questions about uh, the shooters skills um, with the weapons that he used I'm a frequent shooter I don't know if I could have done what he did so it you pose some questions about where he received that training, given that he's, uh, for all intents and purposes, had no official training with a firearm because he's not uh, a licensed firearms owner. So we know his guns were illegally obtained. He didn't have to go through the same course as I did. Um, so he's got some acumen with firearms. And there were really no questions or really no answers given for where he received that or um, any follow-up that you could see done on his foreign travel where maybe he did receive some firearms training? 
in the wake of the shooting, um, uh, there were various media reports that said he had traveled to Pakistan. It didn't tell us, the reports uh, didn't tell us uh, exactly when he went there or for how long. Um, the, the police report, uh, the Toronto police report is silent on the matter entirely. Um, the other thing, as you, as you noted, uh, when he went, there was numerous video clips that, that were out in the, in the internet after the fact. Uh, and you can see him walking down the street, emptying uh, a magazine with a handgun, which was a Smith & Wesson 40 cal semi-automatic pistol. He, he'd emptied a magazine, eject it, and quickly ram another one in, rack around, and then keep shooting uh, as he was walking up the street. Um, I'm no firearms expert, although I've carried a gun uh, in the service of my country, uh, but I do know that to, to do that requires a certain amount of skill, uh, at the very least practice with some instruction. Um, I talked to a, a friend I know who is a, is a firearms expert, in fact he was uh, uh, instrumental with uh, our air marshals program and, and training those uh, police officers. And uh, he looked at a couple of the video clips and he said definitely that the guy's been trained. Uh, so I'm not just talking off the top of my head here. There's no question he had some level of training. What that was, I don't know. And certainly the Toronto Police Report is silent on the subject as well. There has uh, been some evidence that he was dealing in drugs also. Um, again, a lot of unanswered questions with that, as well as indications that, of course, as is always the case, with these people um, who commit these sort of crimes, it seems like there's a, a, a tendency to lay this sort of radicalized behavior and really, quite frankly, terrorism on the feet of mental illness. Um, but you point out that he didn't really seem to have any problems with mental illness um, since about 2012. Yeah, the, the report goes through some of the earlier contact he had with the mental health system, either through the school he was attending uh, or through social uh, social workers. Um, and, and certainly there were issues. Um, the report says he was diagnosed with antisocial uh, behavior. Um, well, I think that's clear. I mean, nobody walks down the street with Toronto shooting uh, indiscriminately and can be called uh, any sort of social. He's clearly got some sort of antisocial personality disorder. But, you know, as against that, what exactly does that mean? I've done a little bit of looking to try and figure that out. And it means essentially somebody who doesn't like to be around people. Well, that covers a lot of territory. And uh, I like dogs better than people. So do I have antisocial <laughs> better, uh, personality disorder? Yeah, I mean, I like to work alone in my basement, <laughs> as I am right now. Um, but I don't think that's an excuse for committing um, a terrorist act on the streets of Toronto. Um, and I think that's a good segue into the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and it's how uh, Crown prosecutors want to have a man who attacked Canadian soldiers back in 2016 at a North York recruitment center labeled as a terrorist. This is actually quite refreshing to see that there is this push to have him labeled as a terrorist because the man who whose name I'm going to butcher right now, um, Anya Ayanle Hassan Ali, he's currently in a... Hamilton St. Joseph's healthcare facility where he's being treated for schizophrenia. So again, he, uh, he, 
the two I don't think are mutually exclusive. You can be mentally ill and still be a terrorist. And it's good to see the uh, Crown prosecutors pursuing this. Well, I mean, I would argue that if you're going to be a terrorist, you have a certain amount of mental illness already. Um, you're not talking about uh, anything that can be even remotely called normal behavior. That guy approached uh, the two uh, soldiers at a recruitment center and suddenly whipped out a knife and started attacking them. Um, what triggered that? The prosecutors you refer to say he has been radicalized. The police are saying, well, yes, but he was also mentally ill. Um, they apply the mentally ill thing to the Danforth shooter as well. It was also applied uh, uh, to a previous attack in Edmonton a little over a year ago uh, where a guy stabbed the police officer working traffic point at Commonwealth Stadium. Uh, he then went on a rampage uh, with a rental vehicle down Jasper Avenue trying to hit pedestrians and whatnot before he was finally stopped. Um, he had an ISIS flag in, his, in the vehicle. I don't know how you call that anything else, yet uh, you know, there were elements of discussion at the time that he had mental issues and he was on some sort of meds and, and so on and so forth. There just seems to be this, this tendency to, uh, to not to, to call a spade a shovel. And, and I don't know why that is, other than it's politically expedient for, uh, you know, for the, the, say, the federal liberals who are trying to repatriate um, ISIS, former ISIS fighters, um, and they're bringing in a lot of Syrian refugees without the ability to vet them or check their backgrounds. And I think if um, truth be told, they don't want that discussion uh, out there. No, I think you're right. I, I mean, it, the Parliament Hill shooter, um, after the fact, he was also, um, you know, a lot of people on the left who, like you say, don't want to have these dis these discussions were pointing out that he had a history of mental illness. I don't know how the two are I incompatible. I mean, the uh, attempted stabber of those soldiers, the uh, paramedics who arrived on the scene heard him say that Allah had sent him to kill people. Um, he also said that he had a license to kill. Just because they, some of these folks do have a history of mental illness does not mean that they are not radicalized um, either online or through other ways uh, to harm and dismantle Canadian culture. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, Sheila, uh, it seems to me that if you're going to uh, do these types of things, then you probably have some sort of mental disorder in the first place because rational people don't do that. No, that's a great point. And that actually brings me um, to a another great article that you have up right now on uh, TNC News. Um, and it's about Again, the government scapegoating the wrong people. I think with the the problem with not calling terrorism terrorism, they end up actually scapegoating the people with mental illness problems instead of addressing the terrorism problem. And you have a great article up right now about how the government has basically placed the entire wrong focus on uh, with their new uh, gun legislation, Bill C-71, um, scapegoating <laughs> the wrong people, the lawful, law-abiding gun owners like me, instead of investigating organized crime and drug-dealing gangs. Right. Well, I also used the example of, uh, of uh, a project that was taken down in Toronto last week. Uh, they had a press conference on Friday. 
where they had uh, uh, arrested 73 people and charged them with over 500 uh, offenses. Um, and they, they seized a lot of guns, none of them legal weapons. Uh, a lot of those people are charged with various uh, firearm offenses, uh, possessing a legal weapon, you know, careless storage, you know, and a whole lot of other things. But in, in order to attack the, the urban gun problem, uh, in our cities, you need to actually attack the problem. And that means that the police have got to be uh, given the ability to go after organized crime and the street gangs. And that was a really good project that was done by uh, by the Toronto Police Service over the course of eight months. And, and they made all those arrests. But that was just against one East End street gang in Scarborough. I mean, there's so many more out there. There's so much more going on across this country. And... Uh, <coughs> None of those people who use guns, if, uh, if there's a shooting by a, by a gangster in, in Vancouver, uh, you know, or in uh, Jane Finch in Toronto or in, uh, in, uh, on 97th Street in Edmonton, uh, those guns are not legal. They were obtained otherwise. Uh, whether they were smuggled into this country or bought in the illegal black market or stolen from, uh, from a private residence uh, is really immaterial. If you want to focus on gun crime, you need to go after what the real problem is. And like anything else, even the other subject we were talking about, Sheila, uh, you can't fix a problem if you won't call it what it is. No, and, and you and I have talked about this before. Uh, Toronto has taken away one of the best intelligence gathering tools that police were using to combat gang violence, and that was carding. Um, you know, the whole practice of carding was accused of being racist because it unfairly, so-called unfairly targeted minority communities. But in fact, carding was used to keep minority communities safer. Those are the, the communities right now being overrun by gangs. Well, it's just, we have the same problem in Vancouver where we were, uh, the uh, anti-poverty groups such as they are, I call them the poverty pimps, mm -hmm. are trying to stop Vancouver police from uh, doing street checks because they say it unfairly uh, 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 attacks uh, the indigenous community. Uh, they had the same issue in New York City where NYPD used to use a, a tactic they called stop and frisk, which essentially was the same thing. Every police department uh, in North America uses uh, some form of that tactic where they stop somebody who appears to be suspicious, they identify them, they say, where are you going? And, you know, they identify who they're with and they... Uh, you know, if they see any anything suspicious, if they're reacting or acting suspicious in any way, then they they search them to see if there's any weapons. I mean, it's 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 part it's police work 101. Uh, Leo, you're an expert in security and policing. Let's pretend you're one of those high-paid consultants that, that municipal governments love to waste tax dollars on. If you could give three pieces of advice to Mayor John Tory to get control back of his city from the gangs, what would you say? Stop being politically correct would be the first one. Um, you know, he needs to to uh, get out of the way of the police service doing their job. Uh, as soon as politicians start messing around with things, it makes it harder for police to do their job. Look at the situation from last week in uh, in Portland uh, when that. Uh, a journalist uh, was attacked by the Antifa mob. You know, the police, the police union have since said that they were told to stand down. You know, that's just political interference. And John Tory uh, does that to a fairly well.
Okay, that's your first one. Stop being politically correct. Second one? Well, it was kind of the second one, too, which is get, <laughs> get out of the way of the police department. Yep. Uh, allow, let them do their job. They're the professionals. They know who they're dealing with. They know the, the, what the uh, they have the raw intelligence from the communities. They know who the bad guys are. Let them go get them. Uh, you know, and, and the third thing is, is that you, you, in Toronto, um, you've got a situation there where where the, the police are not allowed to charge for what they call uh, lower level offenses. Um, as Giuliani proved in New York when he cleaned up Times Square in the 90s, when uh, he used the broken windows theory. And, and that theory says that whenever you get them doing anything wrong, you charge them. Uh, you char no matter how small you charge them, you put them in front of, in front of a judge. Sooner or later, that he has enough amassed enough offenses that a judge will put him away. And uh, one thing I know for certain, that a, a criminal uh, doesn't commit crimes when they're in jail. You know, it's a great point. I would throw in a fourth one, and that is implore the federal government to tighten up the border. That's where the guns are coming from. That's where a lot of the criminals are coming across. That's where a lot of the social problems are coming across the border, um, flooding uh, Toronto um, and just overwhelming Toronto services. And when you overwhelm Toronto services, crime happens after the fact. Um, Leo, I want to thank you. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say I agree with you, but part of the problem there is politics politicians as well yeah Canadian border uh, uh, service um, if you if you try to cross a border at a point of entry you will speak to a, a border officer a customs official yeah uh, if you go 50 yards to the west or east of a border entry and, and illegally cross the border that same customs official can't go and stop you he has to uh, call uh, the local police organization who will try and respond and then find what you're doing. It's so easy to, to smuggle weapons and drugs into Canada. It's unbelievable. And uh, the politicians, the bureaucratic directive is preventing the Border Patrol from doing their job. Yeah, that's a great, great, great point. I mean, uh, Canadian safety and Canadian public safety is really hamstrung by politics, as you so rightly point out. Leo, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, people can find you at TNC News. Um, but where else can they also find you? Uh, my website is primetimecrime.com, um, and that's updated on a daily basis. And uh, pretty much anything I write or, or broadcast is, uh, is, is clipped there as well. Great, Leo. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk again. All right. Thanks, Sheila. Stay with us more up next after the break. part of the show where we look back at some of your viewer comments and your feedback that you've left on some of our videos. On Ezra's interview with the fabulous Barbara Kay about parents objecting to confusing gender ideology being taught to their children in school, Liza Rosie writes, good interview with Barbara Kay. She is absolutely right and I appreciate her dedication and honesty. We need people who are not afraid to question the manufactured narrative being pushed on society by misguided, weaponized minorities. Barbara Kay is a national treasure, and like Canada's grandma, she takes on these complex and contentious social issues with common sense, thoughtfulness, 
and especially compassion. Kay takes a lot of heat for speaking up and a lot of people are trying to silence her, but she keeps speaking up for what's right. You know, some days I'm actually quite surprised that she even still has a job at the National Post. Um, I'm a big, big fan of Barbara Kay, as you can tell. As you know, I'm filling in for Ezra today because he's over in the UK covering the Tommy Robinson trial. And before they went to court yesterday, Ezra did a quick interview with Tommy. On that interview, Karen McLeod wrote, Tommy Robinson is going to die for free speech in 2019, the United Kingdom. Let that sink in, death. He is most likely going to die in jail where he can be tortured and starved to death. If this doesn't make you cry, nothing will. You know, Karen, it is my concern that you could be right. I think it's a real possibility in Tommy Robinson's future that he dies in jail. Either he will die behind bars for doing journalism or he will die in the street as a result of one of the frequent death threats he receives against himself and his family. And I think this persecution of him for speaking up against rape crimes and rape gangs, it's not going to end because him speaking up, it embarrasses the state for their inaction for so many years while so many young girls were victimized right under their noses. I hope you're wrong, Karen, for freedom's sake, for Tommy's sake, and for the sake of his young family, but I suspect you could be right. Well, everybody, on that dark and gloomy note, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank the office in Toronto for bearing with me on the show today. I want to thank Ezra for trusting me to be in the driver's seat one more time while he does the job the UK media just refuses to do over in the UK. Happy late Independence Day greetings to our American friends, viewers and allies. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.